Hey everyone, Brandon Lee here, host of the podcast Escaping Rock Bottom. Um, I've got a pretty cool guest today. Laura's here with me. If you're watching on, if you're watching this, and you're obviously seeing my guest, if you're listening um, on your way to work or you're just listening right now on the radio, um, you're going to hear from Laura in just a second. So down here, still in Newport Beach. Um, I always like to say that you know, like when you interview somebody and you talk to somebody and they share your story, they end up finding one of their friends who they should share their story and everything like that. So, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm yeah. glad you came down from LA. I know. I'm glad I came down here. It's my hometown. So, I'm cool. born and raised down here. So, anytime I can get back here to my hometown, I'm I'm always down for it. Um, so, you know what the podcast is about, Escaping Rock Bottom. This mm-hmm. is stories about people who have gone through, you know, real traumas, whether it be addiction, um, abuse, physical abuse, sex abuse, um, drug addiction, food addiction, and really this podcast is all about talking to people who suffered through those things, mm-hmm. but then did something about it, mm-hmm. or on the other side of it, yeah. who then can share a message of hope. Yeah. The cool thing about you is that you are about to celebrate 10 years of I sobriety. Am. Congratulations. Yep. Thank you so much. I just celebrated nine years, so we're almost kind of A couple like months s- apart, yeah. Sober brothers and sisters here. I love um, it. Go ahead and t- <clears throat> take me back to where your story really begins. Okay, so my story begins with, um, I came from a family that had a lot of alcoholism in it. And as we know, it tends to run in families. Um, My grandmother died from alcoholism when she was in her early 50s. And my uncle died when he was like in his early 30s. And from literally their bodies failing. It wasn't one episode of an overdose. Um, And then my mother was an alcoholic. And so I was somebody that grew up and I had every intention of being better and brighter and working hard and making money and getting the hell out of there. Um, and, but I had that, that, I had that propensity to overdo drinking. And I think like a lot of people who end up in the, some of these 12 step meetings, um, I think from the time I was whatever, 12 or 13 years old and had my first taste of alcohol, it was sort of game on. I finally felt better. You know, it did something to me. It changed my state of mind. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. And even though I think I threw up all over myself, I couldn't wait to get up and do it all over again because I wasn't feeling anymore. I was in a magic fantasy, just out of it world. And some people um, are like, my God, you started that young. Because I started when I was 14 yeah, using. Yeah. And it didn't take long for me to find hardcore drugs. Yeah. But, you know, like people are like, God, how did you start so young? And I'm like, when you, when you are in a household or you suffer traumas, yeah. the first chance you get to escape yeah. and you escape in that feeling of it, yeah. for me, I was like, I need it again. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, to that point, a lot of people I meet who end up in recovery say that it doesn't really matter how young they were it's just whenever that first taste of alcohol was it was game on so it doesn't mean they were partying hard at the age of nine or ten but they might have gotten a sip of beer at a baseball game with their dad or but that's what tends to kick off this you know physical and and mental craving that some of us get that tends to just take over um so my story is so during my life i never thought i was going to be an alcoholic because that was my mom who was drinking every day all day And would get crazy drunk and mad and hate the world and cry. Um, I just like to quote party and I'd get kind of blackout drunk or whatever, and which I loved. I loved it. What's too. better than blackout? I blacked Dude, out all the time. Don't you love it? I, well, it's so I great. Mean, like, you don't know I, what the hell you, you did. You didn't know what the hell happened. And then like, I wake <laughs> up the next day and like chunks of the night, I just did not. Yeah. I didn't remember. I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. Um, and, and you kind of like probe around gently to, with yeah, the people around you. Like, yeah, that was some was good it? party. <laughs> yeah, what did you think? And you try to yeah. hope that they'll fill in some gaps. Right. Um, but it never became like what I thought was a problem until like late into um, my adulthood. And I was about mid-30s. I had um, moved to California from North Carolina very early on in my early 20s after moving here. I met Sean, who became my husband for from that point on. Um, and he was he had the same thing I had. Mm-hmm. But we both had a lot of drive and a lot of, like, goodness in us. Like and a, a, lot lot of, a lot of addicts and alcoholics are some of the most driven and successful people. You're just so FYI, right. Just FYI, just because you're an alcoholic or you're a drug addict doesn't mean you're a bottom-of-the-barrel loser. It's quite the opposite. There's yeah. a lot of very successful professionals who at the core are addicts. You are so right. I completely agree with that. There's a certain temperament that tends to go along with this that actually, if you sober us up, we're some of the coolest creative people there are. Because we think too much, we worry too, we're passionate, you know. It's true. And, you know, that's funny because when I first started getting into treatment and learning about alcoholism, I always thought an alcoholic would be somebody that just doesn't give a shit. That's why they drink. Like, I don't care. We're the opposite. We care too much. We're so worried about stuff and it's not going our way. That we use that to try to We care so medicate. much at least about perfection, right? We right. want to have this perfect life and portray this life of perfection, whether right. it be success. I need to be the CEO. I need to have the millions of dollars. I need to do that. It's really an unhealthy drive that gets us there. Sometimes. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So anyway, I, my husband and I over the years had this pattern of being very successful, achieving a lot of things, but yet blackout drinking, going too far either together or individually um, but for a lot of years, we maintained some standards, like we didn't drink during the week. So, you know, <laughs> I love that one. Hey, you're not an alcoholic if you drink during the week. You know, like well, never mind what I did on the weekends. <laughs> I but that same but if every day, Monday through Friday, yeah. I'm going to work and making a couple yeah. hundred thousand a year, I'm like, I'm golden, man. Right? This is all right. Like, who cares? Um, so it was kind of problematic, but not really. And I never would have thought I'd end up calling myself an alcoholic. Um, so what happened was. Um, along the way too, then a couple things, I had babies that now we have Vicodin coming in from the having birth. I've never felt so happy in my life. I've never felt so happy in my life as when I had Vicodin and especially Vicodin with alcohol. That was totally game on. And then Sean said, I said, these make me so happy here. Try one. He had one and we're like, this is awesome. Um, and then he had back surgery and then it became, it developed into as with a lot of people, yeah. the alcohol was already a problem. You start introducing other substances. You add those in. There's sort of a snowball effect. It starts getting worse and worse. Yeah. So we were getting worse and worse. Meanwhile, we had had two sons. We'd earned so much. We'd done so well financially. We lived in a beautiful house. We lived uh, on Kobe Bryant Street, the next street down here. Um, and we just traveled around in jets and had vacations around the world. We just had such a great life. And most people thought we were such a cool family because Sean and I were both like sales people at heart. We were people that were go-getters. So we were fun and funny, you know, and we loved our kids. We took our kids everywhere. The four of us were like, no one really knew what was happening behind closed doors. Well, they kind of, you know what? You think that no one can tell, but after a while, (laughs) that's part of the problem. You think you think you're fooling everybody, (laughs) but we got to this tipping point. We got, we got to a tipping point. And so, um, so it started getting worse, and we still kept telling ourselves we were great parents. We had these two sons. There became a point where, I don't know what happened, but Sean started getting really depressed. He sold his business when he was 38. He became a full-time, stay-at-home, just retired person. Yeah. So he had more time on his hands, more money on his hands than he needed. And boy, and both of I us tell people, spiraling. as addicts, yeah. 
in your active addiction and even when you start to get sober, time. Yes. Spare time. That could be the biggest enemy. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Right. And, and your thoughts. I, it's like being alone in your thoughts, and that's just bad. They say something like, don't, don't isolate yourself too much if you're an alcoholic yeah. because you don't want to lock yourself in a room with a crazy person yes. alone. It's so true. Which is your own self. Yeah, it's your own self. So, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so that started. So we, basically, we started to spiral together. Um, he started doing more and more things like bringing in a lot of cocaine. And now we're doing this. We're telling ourselves we're still good parents. We're still driving our kids to the best private school every day. Going to, He's coaching baseball and soccer, Newport Beach Little League, board of directors. You know, I mean, we're all over town leading things. And it was just a matter of time before people started to, I'm sure, you know, notice. Sean hit a tipping point where he just um, – he started wanting to do party all the time every day. And I started kind of going along with it for a while. And it was really bad. And I'm talking, I mean, it, it's, it's horrifying. But I'm talking having a vodka, like a water bottle full of vodka and drinking straight up vodka during the day and thinking no one knows. And this, these are stories that real live good people who are alcoholics, we all share. We do things that are horribly demoralizing. And, just, and kind of horrific. Right. And we're just so stuck, though. We just feel like it's so hard to explain unless you've been there. But you get it. Right. I do. I mean, I, we do. We get stuck in these, I don't know. For me, it was just like, I, I look back and I'm like, the times that I was doing all the blackout. And I was, GHB was my drug of choice and that would make me blackout. So I quit actually drinking back when I was a teenager because I found drugs. And drugs just took me to that next level. And it just helped me feel even way more high than even having to go through all the drinks to get there. Um, but I look back and it was just a fog. So much of that memory was just a fog because yep. of, I was, I was like you when you were like, I used to tell this to myself too. I'm, um, I'm not an addict if I just do meth once a month. <laughs> so I'm just going to go have those big party weekends once a month. But if I, and I would tell myself coming down on like that Tuesdays with the drugs would be the worst, right? They call them suicide Tuesdays because that's when you're just totally crashing and coming down. And I remember saying to myself, I will never do that again. I will never do that again. Looking at myself in the mirror, physically like beating myself, saying I will never do that again. Yes. But days later, when you start to feel better, all of a sudden, like as an addict in my disease... I had the inability to rewind the tape or fast forward the tape to the end. Like I, di- I didn't even have the tools to do that. I simply forgot how shitty I felt. Yeah. <laughs> and said when I started feeling better, I'm roaring and ready to go again. You're right. And then the next thing I know, I'd be back out in Palm Springs doing meth with a bunch of people, you know, partying my ass off. Right. And the cycle just continued, even though I would try, as you were, to mm-hmm. do everything to cope and deal with it myself and quit yep. myself. I totally get that. And I think that's, I think a lot of alcoholics and addicts have the same cycle. And I kind of say it's like being on a merry-go-round. You know, you need to get off. <laughs> Um, but you keep staying on it and staying on it and staying on it. Um, like my husband and I would get up in the morning, we'd be hung over or whatever. And we'd go, Oh my God, we fought in front of the kids and there was mm-hmm. cocaine. Oh my gosh. Did Jake see the dollar bill rolled up? Rolled up. And Jeez. we're like, we can't do this, you know? And we're good people. We would sit and say, we will never do this. And we would sit and write 
down. I, we love our kids. We, for their sake, we will never do this. And then a couple hours would go by, and we'd be sitting there hating ourselves because you, there's so much self-loathing that comes with oh, yeah. this problem, which is the worst part of it. Um, and after a certain point, inevitably, I'm going to blame it on him, but I went along. And I probably, one of us would suggest, God, I feel like shit. Maybe we should just have one glass of wine. You know, we're miserable from what we did yesterday. Let's just have a little and we drink a glass or two and we'd start feeling great. And then we do it again. Yeah. We wake up this next morning and we're like, oh my God, we did the same thing. We kept trying. It's horrible. It's the worst thing. You genu- genuinely don't want to keep doing it. Right. And something's just, you know. You, know what, hum- this, you explaining the story reminded me of this one time. And this was towards the end of my addiction. And, and a lot of <laughs> a lot of my stuff was a drug addiction that fueled my sex addiction. And so I spent a lot of my time at, at bathhouses and these like brothels. That's putting it nicely, by the way, <laughs> describing what these places were. Um, so we'll, we'll call them brothels. <laughs> but um, but I remember, and it was that it was that thing. I remember I was in the parking lot, and I started crying. And I said to myself, and I was, I'll never forget this moment. I was in the driver's seat. I parked my car, and I saw all these guys standing in line walking into this brothel. And I, and I remember crying, and I said, I don't want to go in there. I mm-hmm. do not want to go in there. I don't want to do this anymore. And yeah. I remember saying, I verbally was saying this alone, talking to myself yeah. in the Jeep. I said, all I want is a monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. All I want is to be married and have a house and have a family. I don't want to do this. And the next thing I know, it was like my arm was going into my yeah. console. I got out my crack pipe. And I started smoking the crack in the parking lot and I walked into that brothel. And it's like that feeling that you were just describing, like looking at your husband being like, what are we doing? I don't want to do this. Right. But I, it was like, I couldn't control my own body. And it was just, I just went. Yeah. Like a zombie into this next thing. And that's, that. I totally get that. And I think that's the whole reason that I love to speak out and talk to people like you and help where I can encourage other people that are in this because it's so, it's so difficult. And, um, I'm just skipping ahead while I ended up getting, becoming sober and it's so much better. Right. I mean, there's the self-loathing and the demoralization, just hating yourself every day, not being able to stop. So it's like you get pulled off the merry-go-round, you're on solid ground. And it's like, thank God I'm here. You want to stay here. And then you see a friend that's still suffering going around and around. You're like, oh, I know you need to get off of there. I know you're doing this. Oh, I feel so bad. You want to pull them off and get them on stable ground. And then when you see somebody go back on it, you're like, oh, you know. We see a lot of people. You see people go out and, you know, and we, it's sad. But anyway. You know, a lot of people who are, and and I'm curious, and I know a lot of people who are listening or watching are curious too, is, are you still together with your husband that you were using with? No, I'm not. How did that end? And if you don't, if you don't mind going into that, like, because you got clean and sober. Did he get clean and sober at the same time you did? That's a great question. So what happened was, um, we both struggled and both told ourselves in each other, we were going to get better. He started getting worse than I was. He started getting really paranoid, mentally ill. Um, he wasn't a very big guy, and he was getting his brain was kind of getting dehydrated, which I found out later is uh, starts to make you psychotic. Right. It, um, so he started thinking people were following us, people were watching us. Um, he'd been, I 
think, pretty faithful over almost 18 years. And he started having girlfriends. And he started, and what I realized later, he got to a point where he'd been so successful, like he was starting to lose it. I think he knew he was going to die. And he was like, well, fuck it. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to just Swing go out. In. I'm not, I'm not going to go out being average, like kind of trying to pull yeah. it together. He's like, if I can't be top of the heap, I'm just going to say, forget it. So he started taking all this money and putting it into films that didn't go anywhere and limos and girls and just drugs. And I don't know what, um, and at one point, he was holed up in the Island Hotel with a bunch of girls. And he said, I'm not going to come back until you go to rehab. <laughs> and I'm like, me? And he said, no, you need to go to rehab. And so I thought, yeah, we probably both do. And he said, you go. And I'll support that. I go, okay. So I went up to Malibu for three months. And it was so helpful. I got sober. It was great. Yeah. Um, I was glad I did it. But the problem was he said, well, I don't think I have the problem as bad as you do. He goes, I'm going to do my own AA program alongside you from home. (laughs) But I noticed every day when I'd get that phone call from rehab and talk to him, he'd be fighting with me and crazy. And it was terrible. Later, I found out that when I went away for the three months that he went on, like they called it like his spring break. (laughs) Like as bad as he was before, I was gone. He went crazy. I came back and suddenly we have creditors. We're not our... All four mortgages, we had four homes, are in default. And, like, what happened in 90 days? So it became this really rapidly de- uh, Your world came crashing It down. was bad. We were this family that lost everything. Yeah. But what happened was I came out sober. He was a wreck, and he had alcohol all over the house. And I maintained sobriety for five months. But then one day, and this is just a danger sign for somebody else, he had vodka and tequila everywhere and one day we were in the living room i'll never forget it and i found out he was cheating on me again and i was so mad at him and we were talking and i was i was so mad i didn't know what to do and there was a bottle of tequila and so i was so mad i couldn't think of anything but oh yeah well fuck you and i picked up the tequila and did a big chug because i showed him you know oh my god after treatment after After treatment five months i I was good back to that chaos yeah so I relapsed then. Yeah. And like the, like they say, that's when the really bad stuff happens. So we went through a couple months of like me getting a DUI in Arizona. You don't want to get a you, – you, okay. I'm from Arizona. All right. I spent five years there. That is one place, my friends, if you were out there actively drinking or drugging, never. never. Sheriff never. Joe Arpaio. <laughs> I was down in that Matrix prison oh, of theirs. Tent took, City. Yeah, well, they didn't put me in Tent City. They put me in... They um, put you in Tent City. No, but You're they... are lucky, because they put everybody... They used to... They, tent City's closed now, but... They make them wear pink underpants. All yeah, the, yeah, pink underwear. I, and sweat. It's terrible. I mean, so I had leg shackles, and I mean, they charged me with all these felonies. I was in jail for two and a half days, you know, and I'd never been in jail before. So anyway, things started getting really, really bad. The long story, I guess to kind of get to the end of this, is Sean started getting sicker and sicker. He started physically abusing me. And so I fled the house one day after he'd thrown me around and went kind of um, on the lam for a summer until we sold a property, and then I got started getting myself set back up. And after I got my own place, he kept DS, he kept just crashing. And so he ended up being in Hogue Hospital a lot. And he would call me and say, I need help. I'm suicidal. I'm going to die. Uh, he called me one time and said, I'm in the 10th floor of the Radisson. I'm suicidal. He said, I'm hallucinating. I, I can't drink anything. I can't keep anything down. But if I don't drink, then I hallucinate. Right. And he said, I can't, you know. And so I went to him, even though he'd been so awful. You know, there's this love here. For, also for a fellow alcoholic. Right. I'd been sober now. I'd gotten sober again. And I stayed sober from that other point on. Right. But... After a couple t- attempts to rescue him, um, 
it, things just got really messy and he just said, I'm going to take you to court and I'm just going to ruin you. So he, for his last hurrah, he took me to family court and he started doing things like going and getting a, like a bogus um, restraining order so I couldn't get back to the house. So he went and lied and said I hit, beat him up after he beat me up. And like, he was doing just playing awful games. He was sick. It was terrible. Um, and I was sober and I was just trying to stay above the fray, you know, and I just cared about our kids and I was going to be the, the parent that was okay but he started dragging me all into court and had a lot of accusations against me and then at one point he had the kids over at his house and he pointed out to the judge that I didn't have a driver's license because it had been taken away in the DUI in Arizona so the judge said okay the kids have to stay with dad and I'm like my lawyers and I were like dad's crazy you know and I'm sane and this is terrifying um the last day before we were going to find out that things. The, it, there was this long investigation. It was almost done. We went to court. Um, somebody had forgotten to file an order to show cause or something. We couldn't get in the courtroom. And so we had to reschedule. Well, two days later, Sean died. And what happened, you don't know this story yet, but he um, took his life. He jumped off of a building. And um, it was the kid's first day of summer. And so they got out of school at noon and I picked them up, and I took them for pizza. I took them for ice cream, and I brought them home, and we were watching movies, and then they rode off on their bikes with some friends. And I was thinking, thank you, God, this summer is going to be okay. And then I get this call yeah. from the Irvine police. And I'm going to say this part, too, because I want people to be encouraged that you can stay sober through anything. Yes. The Irvine police called me and said, one of your sons is dead. Because Sean had my son's cell phone. And they couldn't identify him, so they called mom. And they said, we're here with your son, and there's been a problem. Oh, my God. I said, which one is it? Because they'd just gone off on their bikes. Right. Is it Jake or Kyle? They didn't know. And so we had this terrible, awful conversation where I didn't know which You think kid. your son is dead? You think yeah, one of your children? one of the two. One of the two. And I didn't know which one, so we hang up. And I don't know what Sean, so I call Sean and I'm hysterical saying, one of our kids died, I don't know which one. And I remember thinking, oh God, I please pray that Kyle's okay. And then I'm like, oh no, that would mean Jake's dead. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 Jake's got to be okay. And I'm like, no, that means Kyle's yeah. dead. Like in my mind, there was that Sophie's choice almost of like, uh, whoever I wished would be okay, then the other one would right. be the one I'd be losing. It was terrible. And then... 20 minutes later or so, they called me back and they said, no, it's Sean. And he took his life. He jumped. Um, so that was pretty traumatic. And the next thing that happened is social services came rushing in and said, how come Sean had the kids? We're going to take the kids away from you until we investigate you. So they'd been investigating me in family court for like four months and just got done. Um, and social, social services came in and started the whole investigation again. And what that meant was they took my kids away that day and uh, they – wouldn't let me comfort them. They told them their dad died. They told them how he died. Nobody was there to hug them or hold them, or I wasn't mm. able to see them or talk to them. It just began this long, awful, months long. And Tanya Brown and I have talked about this and how her family dealt with the system coming and taking away the kids from the family. It's brutal. Um, somehow we got through that. Um, and then since then, I'm still sober. And there's another story, I don't know if we have time, but my son, when he was 15, he became an addict, and I saved him, and he's sober, and he's a great example, too. How old is he? He's 22 now. He's 22? He's been sober for how long? Seven years. Seven years? Yeah. He got sober at 15. 15. Yeah, 15. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm going to have to just do a podcast with him. You should. He's been yeah. on the I mean, Today. They made a movie yeah, about Jake. I mean, well, no, it gets better. It gets it gets yeah, better. Yeah. No, Jake is like an inspiration in yeah. recovery. Um, because he not only had his dad's suicide, but right. he had like he got taken away from his mom and just all this trauma. Right. Um, I got him into treatment because I knew the buck stopped with me. There was only one parent on this earth, and I'm like, he needs help, and I'm going to go at this aggressively. And I put him into an adolescent treatment, and they saved him. And I have a great message to parents, which is if your kid's in high school and they're in trouble, pull them out of high school and get them treatment. They'll be okay. They can still graduate high school. Like, I thought maybe by pulling Jake out, that meant no more college, all the hopes and dreams. You're giving him a chance to go to. Here's what happened. Right. Yeah, put him in this great treatment program. He went ahead and stayed there and got treatment through 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, graduated through their online program. He got accepted to UC Berkeley, oh, all right? God. And he goes to UC Berkeley, and he starts off first semester. He makes straight A's. He's been in rehab school, <laughs> okay? Second semester, straight A's. Yeah. Second year, straight A's. Third year, straight A's. Meanwhile, now he's volunteering on a suicide hotline. Yeah. He started the first ever sober club up at, like, an intercollegiate yeah. club up at Berkeley. Um, he's an advocate for teen sobriety. sobriety and he's, he's just, he's such a lovely person. And he got the gifts of being in this program where when you're in recovery, they teach you how to be a better person, not just to stop. We're not white-knuckling it saying our goal is to not drink or do drugs. We're like, we got to change our thinking and be better, happier people so we don't fall on the drugs, need the drugs or alcohol. And we become more skilled and adept with life skills than somebody that wasn't lucky enough to become like us. Exactly. No, I say that too. I say that. I, I try and explain it to people all the time too is that... And this is the one thing that I always – my mission in life is to like a message to employers that yeah. when you have the chance to hire somebody who admits that they're a recovering addict and they've got like a decade of sobriety in them, people who are like us, we work an active program, yeah. I always like to say we use our superpowers yeah. now for good. Superpowers. Right. And You're so right. When we were in our active addiction, right. we're liars, we're manipulators, yeah. we are deceitful, yeah. and we yeah. are professionals at it. Yeah. And so what I like to say is that I did some bad things when I was an addict, yeah. and I did a lot of bad things to a lot of good people. Yeah. I said, but me and my active recovery, right. I now use my superpowers for good. You're and unstoppable. I, you right. were unstoppable once we've learned how do we yes. deal with our emotions they teach us to not be angry, not be resentful. I've learned to forgive the people that took my kids away right. and just accept that because there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Um, but you were able to finally, and I think that's just a beautiful thing about sobriety, is that we're able to really look at, well, I wasn't happy with what they did. I'm like, well, I'm not yeah. happy with social services, yeah. but at the same time, I need to look at my side of the street. Yeah. And I need to see where I was failing as a parent yeah. and see where their, you know, where their concerns were with the kids. Yeah. And it really allows us to be humble and yeah. to really say, you know what? As much as they did me wrong, yeah. I still had a part in the demise yeah. and oh, the yeah. failure of this relationship. Yeah, and there were a lot of circumstances that were super unfair about that. For example, my husband was having so many affairs. He was a sex addict here at the end, and he loved my kids' par- best friend's parents, loved the women that were the moms. And he had this one named Cheryl that was in love with him, and right. he was stringing her along for fun. Well, her kids were playing with my kids when I got the call, so I called Cheryl. And she and I had had candid conversations where I'm saying, knock it off, uh-huh. it's not good for the kids. <laughs> yeah. 
So she knew that I knew. And I said, I'm, I care about your husband. I'm not going to tell him. I'm going to try to contain this right. for the good of the kids. But you guys need to knock it off. I'd had that conversation with her twice. When I called her to say, our kids are together. Please come get them out of our gated community. Take them to your gated community. Because I don't know if there's going to be police, press, helicopters. Well, once she got them over there, she also told the police and the the social services people that I was trouble and they gave custody of my kids to her oh and so she got to be the boss of me for about six months and in spite of and I never told her husband to this day people say you should tell her husband I'm like no I'm in recovery I know how to behave myself right. we know how to behave our why hurt an innocent guy that's not right. my that's not my job to do that right. um but so to forgive and for you know all of that but so anyway, all of that was unfair. My sponsor said to me, well, let me ask you this. If you'd never drank and had a problem, would any of this had happened? If you'd never gotten yourself in any trouble, would any of this be? Re-? And I go, well, no. And she goes, eh. I go, but this isn't fair. Come on. You know, this isn't right. She goes, but did you ever drink and drive and didn't get caught? Or, and I said, yeah. She goes, that wasn't fair either. It was so humbling. And I had to walk around this town where everybody knew that my husband jumped off the building and my kids went to Cheryl's house. And I was unfit to take care of my kids. And I had to hang my head up, hold my head up here. And my biggest message I have to anybody in recovery is that, and this is so important, the worst day of this hell that I went through was doable sober with a straight head, clear head. The worst day was not as bad as any day waking up using and hating myself. Yes. Like you, you, when you're life using, still happens. I tell people that yeah. just because you get sober doesn't mean the traumas in life or the issues in life yeah. don't come up. But we are better yeah. equipped to deal with right. them. And to handle them right. face on, face so on, that they don't come into you know come back to haunt us later down. That's in life. right. And drinking that day that problem away, that problem's going to exist the moment you sober up. But worse, but worse. You've got self loathing right. and all of them right. damage and stuff to to go along with it. But so many people said to me, "I can't believe you didn't drink during that." And I don't know sobriety to me. I I loved. I really like sobriety. Sobriety and me are buddies, man. Yeah, I Once I it. found sobriety, I'm like, thank you. Yeah, I, love I love the people. It. I love the people. Right. It's like God. Real connection. I'm happy to, to be. I'm an alcoholic, and I'll say it. I'll shout it from the rooftops. I'm proud to be part of this group of people that works right. on themselves and gets it together. We're some of the most articulate people. I love it. And so, I had been sober maybe a year and a half when Sean died and all this stuff happened. But when people said, "Why didn't you drink for over that?" I'm like. It wouldn't have even occurred. Why would I? Why would I drink? Right. Like, so anybody that thinks, yeah, but life's painful and I have to drink so I don't feel the pain. It's like, no, you don't understand that you are feeling pain from drinking and using and being in that right. merry-go-round. And you can look at anything with a clear head and deal with it, no matter how bad it is. And but I'm, self-loathing is as low as it gets. And I love right. that. And you know, as we as we wrap up here, and I think that's what I want people and listeners. And those who are watching to to take away from this is that you went through some pretty traumatic stuff, stuff that was traumatic. A lot of that came from alcoholism and the addiction. And even though you wanted to stop for your kids, once that is in you and once you're in, it's a snowball and it's an avalanche and it's going to come down, you know, come rolling down that hill. But you're to the other side of it. And I want people to see the hope, the inspiration that you have an amazing relationship with your children, that your children 
are doing incredible things now, yep. despite all the trauma that they walk through in your household. Well, because my son got into recovery. That's what I mean. And our whole family, now there's just three of us, all right? And we're so tight. We love each other. We have a depth of connection that most other families don't ever get. I mean, when they were in high school and other I'm parents. I'm sure the communication in your household is like amazing. You, you should hear us. We're super. And, but, <laughs> but Jake said, well, man, when you sent me away, it was the worst. It was the, I was yeah. like the most depressed, even worse than when dad died. But he said, you saved my life. Yeah. You saved my life. That's and he amazing. goes, I will always love you for being a good enough That's mom amazing. to to be bold enough to send me to treatment. And actually, I didn't finish telling you his story now. He's about to graduate Berkeley. He's going to go to medical school. He wants to be a brain surgeon. Like, you can't make this shit up. (laughs) 15-year-old addict, take him out, put him in treatment. They, too, will be a brain surgeon. I mean, seriously. It doesn't even get better than that. But better than that, he's just the coolest, most humble guy. So we're going to get him on you know, the show. You would love to meet right, Jake, we're, so we're gonna, I hope that happens. We're going to get Jake on the yeah, show. Yeah, I'll let you, you meet him. Thank you so much. You too. For it was just, a pleasure. Thank you so much for being willing and opening to, to share your story with a lot of people who are listening, who are who are likely, many of them still even suffering in their own stuff right now too. So uh, thank you again thank for you. tuning in to Escaping Rock Bottom. We'll see you back here next Wednesday. Hope it helps.